Welcome to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kip Wilkinson. This podcast exists to share the stories of everyday people, to discuss the difficult moments in life or the valleys, and the amazing triumphant times that cause us to feel as if we are on mountaintops. And of course, the winding path in between those two points. We all have a story to tell, and we hope that this podcast helps you in telling your own. Unfortunately, my co-host Michael Horvath was unable to join us for this episode. However, my roommate Josiah set in on the discussion in his place. In this episode, we sit down with my friend Cooper. We're unable to share Cooper's last name with you at this time because he will soon be moving overseas to share the gospel in dangerous places. Cooper will share his story with us and offer some advice on sharing the love of Jesus with a people group known as the Sikhs. Cooper's a really funny guy, and he's one of the boldest people I know, but I'll let him tell you more about himself. I grew up a pretty normal kid, I guess, um, normal family, never had any uh, traumatic things happen or anything out of the blue, um, but going into high school, I was going to church. I was very involved in church, but as far as uh, Jesus, his involvement in my life, uh, um, his death and resurrection, the Bible did not have much meaning to me. Uh, I did not really care. I was far more concerned with uh, just being a young, dumb kid that didn't really care about anybody but himself. I didn't care about school or the future. I didn't care about um, seeking the well-being of anybody other than just me. Um, Long story short, after um, just hurting several people, um, not physically, but just emotionally and just taking advantage of people and just being a jerk. I I went through this uh, relatively small season where I found myself um, just feeling very alone and empty and angry and bitter at just different circumstances, Um, people at church uh, hurting me, the very people that you don't suppose um, should or would ever hurt you, but, um, but find a way to do it anyways and just kind of kind of messes with the mind of a kid. It rubbed me the wrong way. I found myself in a season of just anger and bitterness, and um, one day found myself uh, wanting to ram my car into a tree to see if anybody would uh, care about me then. At least that was what I thought for a moment, and I sped up my car thinking I was about to smack this tree, but thank God I did not do that. And after that moment, um, I was very confused and wondering how on earth did I go from being a seemingly uh, happy kid with no, uh, I suppose, no real problems to wanting to hurt myself or kill myself. That was the moment that I kind of woke up and realized I needed to needed to figure this out and so I found myself again sitting in my car uh, waiting on a friend one night angry and bitter he just so happened to be awake so I had extra time to be angry and bitter 
and I prayed and asked that uh, if Jesus was real and if he actually had control of my life and of the universe and if he really could change the hearts of men, uh, rid us and forgive us of our sins and do all the things that I grew up hearing that he would do it right then and there. Um, And in my car, uh, supernaturally, it was as if the very hand of God reached into my heart and pulled out everything uh, bad, all the anger, bitterness, and stupidity that I'd been dealing with for so long. It it almost seemed to be just gone in an instant, and I was changed and was absolutely never the same after that day. Um, that was five years ago. Um, after that day, I started seeking this, uh, this Jesus, this God figure um, in the Bible, trying to learn who was it that changed my life, who changed my heart, who was it that I met that day in my car, um, and have never turned back since. So I remember, like, we used to, I don't know, we'd drive around in your car or, like, Chris's old beat-up truck and, like, blast heavy metal music. Mm-hmm. So my question is, one, do you still listen to metal music? All the time. I was listening to it on the way here. Yes. Who's your all-time favorite band? That's a terrible question. And now we're going to be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> um, so lately... Um, I've been really into Stray From The Path and, um, oh man, this band called uh, Polaris. Oh yeah. You know who I'm talking Is about? It Polaris? I don't know. Polaris or Polaris. Their song Consume or Remedy. Yeah. I've been, I've been having those on repeat for a long time. Um, or I've been, I've been listening to Gideon again. I don't know. Good. I don't know who my all time. It's probably this band called Reveal Renew. Hmm, I haven't heard of them. They're really they're not even together anymore. But they have this song called Wings, and it is probably the best song ever written. Dude, why? Why? Yeah. Um. Again, I don't know. Like the the riffs and just like the level of screaming. I don't know. The whole way through, it's just, like, perfectly composed. It's not, like, it's not sloppy. And there's not parts. Because in metal songs, they're all, like, segregated into different bits. You know what I mean? And, like, sometimes there's, like, certain sections that you just don't like. But this song, the entire way through, is just golden. Hmm. Like, everything. It's just perfect. Like, really harmonious. Yeah, like, it just flows well, and, like, every particular section is just perfect. Hmm. Like, makes you have a super high heart rate the whole way through. Nice. So, yeah, that's my long-winded answer to that question. (laughs) I'll take it. I don't think I've listened to anything in a while. Some Under Oath. Silent Planet. Under Oath is probably the best band ever. Mm. I don't know why I didn't think about them. How have you continued over the last, like, five years to... To grow closer to Jesus? Um, well, I wouldn't say that uh, it's necessarily been a continuous thing. There's definitely been ups and downs. Um, 
I mean, I don't know, there's def- definitely something beautiful about, like, moving around and always meeting different people and traveling and seeing the highs and the lows of life that in some way always pushes you closer to Jesus, especially as life gets more complicated. You know, you grow more dependent um, just as you get older. So, I mean, part of it, I would say, is natural, but also, I mean, it's not to say, like, you know, the Bible isn't absolutely necessary. And I would say that that has even changed in the sense of, like, the more you grow up, I'd say I've grown a lot to just take a step back looking at the Bible and try to realize what's, like, necessary on, like, a heart value rather than seeing it from a strictly, like, uh, academic perspective, which, you know, I went to, like, two years after I came to faith, I started Bible school and was pretty impounded with just a logical, like, I don't know, view of the Bible. And I'd say that just lately, I've just really been trying to take a step back for, like, the past year or two as I've been finishing Bible school to stop viewing it in such a logical way and just trying to find those heart values in it that stick with you for the rest of your life and like actually grow you as a an individual rather than just I don't know someone that sees it like any other book hmm. but so I mean the Bible I suppose is the short answer to that question but <laughs> the short answer. I've just been kind of evolving in how I look at it when you say, like, you're dropping the academic view, do you mean, like, uh, I guess, like, getting into, like, all the, the Greek and the Hebrew and just the historical context and et cetera, et cetera? I mean, kind of. For me, it was always, like, I don't even uh, this, this is the first time I've ever put it into words. Um, reading it to just memorize the things that aren't, Important or well, memorizing it in just a different way. Like, for example, John chapter 8 is like, um, I would think one of the biggest chapters for like the deity of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, like at the end, before Abraham was, I am. Um, mm-hmm. Reading it and then memorizing, like, that's a staple point for Jesus as God rather than taking a step back and simply thinking for myself, what does that mean for me? That he, the preexistent one that came, uh, took on flesh that created everything to die for that which he created. Um, The actual just heart, like, I guess, emotional implications of it rather than just... The doctrine and stuff. yeah, Yeah, rather than just putting like a staple there and being like, you know... When a Mormon comes up to me, I'll come back to this. Mm, like, yeah. You know what I mean? For sure. So, different. Like, oh, it's like the older I've gotten, I've just been really trying to take a step back and start seeing the Bible from a different light in that perspective. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So you mentioned, you know, if you were to go and have a conversation with a, a Mormon... And having like those, I don't know, I guess those like grab phrases, um, things that you would say. 
But that doesn't make me think like, I mean, if you're willing to share this on the podcast right now, um, like for the past few years, you've been working with um, the, the Sikhs. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of uh, walk us through a little bit of what that looks like. Like, how did you get into that? Like, how did you even find kind of an obscure people group in, in America? Um, like what, what ministry has looked like from that perspective? And just what all you've been doing there? Um, well, I guess the, the first part to that question, how I found them, um, I have a friend who worked overseas, uh, with Sikhs for a number of years. And after a, a slew of circumstances, he had to come back to America. That's when I met him. So it was about four years ago coming up in four years ago that I met him. And um, I knew that he was into just cross-cultural ministry and work and service and that kind of stuff. And I asked him, I said, who have you been working with? And he said, the Sikhs. And I said, the who? And um, he, I don't know, he just taught me a lot because at this time I was just really intrigued by world religions and different worldviews. How would you uh, define what the Sikhs are and what they believe, just briefly? um, So Sikhs are Unitarians at the core. Um, They are believers in uh, the oneness of God across the spectrum of religion and philosophy that um, everybody worships the same thing, that everybody goes to heaven. Um, The Sikhs follow the teachings of 10 gurus that all existed about four to 500 years ago. 10 different men that at the end of um, their lives, their sayings were compiled into a book uh, called the Guru Granth Sab, and now the Sikhs worship it as their eternal guru. They go to it for wisdom, but they're not exclusive in the sense that you have to go to that book. Um, they believe that what you're born as, you should stay. They're very anti-conversion, anti-proselytizing, um, anything of that nature. They are very much so against it. Yeah. So, uh, they also do not cut their hair. Oh wow! So, like, do they believe in? Do they believe in like the inerrancy of their scripture in the same way that we would in our scripture? Um, it's not even like. And the the personal conversations I've had with them, that's not even really a a point of conversation like with a Muslim or a Mormon you would have that conversation but what I, what has been said to me by Sikhs is uh, that the Bible is corrupted um, and that the, the difference between the Bible and their scriptures is that the Bible wasn't written until 350 years after the death of Christ which they're referring to the beginning of the councils that uh, canonized mm. the scriptures. They have the misconception that that was the the writing of the Bible. But then they go back and say, but our scriptures were written down literally as the gurus spoke it. So I don't know. I guess that, like they do, but at the same time, they just have a very different perspective of their scriptures than like, 
a Christian or a Muslim or a Jewish person, they have the perspective of like, they don't study them deeply. The scriptures are meant to be like read over them and meditated on rather than like, what does it say? It's, just, it's, mu- it's a much more mystical view of it. So hmm. it's not as vital that the scriptures are inerrant or that type of thing. So, but it is, I guess, a topic of conversation. Have you studied the, the, their scriptures at all? Um, I do have a copy. Um, it is extremely difficult to read. I've read the Quran and the Book of Mormon and the Jehovah's Witness scriptures and, you know, things that the Yellow Deli puts out. Like, I love reading that stuff, but, <laughs> but their scriptures are different in that one, you... Like, with the Quran, you can find points of conversation, like scriptures that a, a Muslim would know. Right. Or contradictions, like the Quran saying that Jesus was never crucified. Well, that's a, that's a pretty... Valuable like conversation point, things like that. But with the Sikh scriptures, they don't memorize it. They don't, and like I said earlier, they don't. They don't really care what it says. So, like, let's say I, I found a passage and memorized it to bring up to them. It, they're they're not just they're not going to really know what you're talking about. But at the same time, also, the scriptures do say. Things like uh, um, our sin is, uh, oh wait, not sin, what am I saying? That our bodies are like a drop of water and God is the ocean. And the point of all humanity is to get the drop into the ocean so you just become like one with God. Mm. So there's little pieces that like do give you a glimpse into their worldview, but the majority of their scripture um, it's just poetry that, to me, doesn't make a whole lot of, a whole lot of sense. Like, it's extremely difficult to find. There's no narrative. It's 1,430 pages, or it's 1,460. Every copy has the same number of pages. Um, so it's, it's like more like a book of Psalms than a book of Proverbs? Yes, but... But there's no consistency. Like even in the Psalms, they're you know yeah. themed, I guess, or there there there's certain topics that they may follow in the scriptures. There's in their scriptures, there's nothing to follow. So it's very difficult to read, and you find yourself thinking, you know, this has no value to me to huh. necessarily go through and read. Yeah. So I have. I mean, I have it, and I've read a lot of it, and. My goal is to read the entirety of it eventually, but it's a hard book to get through. I can see why. So, and it's huge. It's, I have, it's a four-volume set, and volume one is, like, that thick. Whoa. In their language, it's 1,430 or 1,460 pages. I can't remember. I think it's 60. Um, but when you translate it into English, it's over 2,000 pages. Like, oh like I know a guy that has a, a set of their scriptures in English and it's nine volumes. It's huge. It's, it's a very big book. That's absurd. It is. I'm pretty sure it's bigger than Moby Dick. I could be wrong. I don't know how long. I've never read it. It's a thousand something pages. Yeah, I think that's bigger than Moby Dick. That's, that's a big book regardless. That's massive. Yeah. Dude. So, um, 
why are you uh, kind of doing mission work for these people? Um, well, because they're awesome, and I just have fallen in love with them. Like, they're, they're kind, and they're hilarious, and their food is amazing, and, um, I mean, some of my best friends have been Sikhs over the years that, um, I've known, like, they're just, like, they, in and of themselves, are wonderful, and they're hard to get away from. Um, but also there's a sense of uh, they're grossly misunderstood. Um, virtually nobody reaches out to them or prioritizes them in any way. Um, and so there's that sense of, you know, I'll go to these temples for years at a time and never see anybody else ever set foot in it to do any type of work or relationship building with these people or you'll ask them how many Christians they know like these Sikhs in America and they'll be like you're the only one um, which is a question that I tend to ask them a lot just because it's I don't know it's fascinating to see how many of them might say oh I know a few and then saying, oh well, what do you think of them but anyways um, what do you think that is that they, they like they're just that there's so little interaction from uh, between um, Christians and Sikhs because they look scary. Um, That's fair. And most uh, believers I know, um, they just uh, I don't know. They they get nervous when they see because these men that have these big beards and turbans they look like very very. Uh, devout religious men that if you struck up a conversation with, they'd put you into the dirt Mm. Um, just because they they look brilliant Um, and they look aggressive. People think that they're Muslims and people have the perception that Muslims are naturally aggressive, that they will, uh, they're trained to debate you and fight you and, or that they're mean or that they're violent. There's, there's a lot of things that go into their image in reality, they're absolutely none of those things, but when people see them, they're just naturally inclined to avoid them or step away. Uh, could you give are, are anyone listening any advice on how to how they could get connected with Sikhs in their community and kind of how they could or should go about sharing the gospel with them? Um, well, if you're listening to this in Chattanooga, there's only one Sikh family, and they own a restaurant, um, and they work there seven days a week, so you have to go pay money to eat there. <laughs> <laughs> you have to go into the temple. Uh, a lot of people get freaked out by that. They think that yeah. it's um, not effective or not wrong, or it in, in some way jeopardizes your heart or... I don't know, it petrifies people, but the the reality is the temple for Sikhs is a lot more than just a a place designated for spiritual rituals. It's like their ultimate symbol of um, community and hanging out because they they go there to to just eat all the time because there's food available 24 hours a day in almost every temple. If not 24 hours a day, it's at least while the priests are awake anytime you go there. 
That'll cook for you. Josiah, if we need some food. Yeah. Let's <laughs> drive over there. And so, like, I've had Sikhs in the past. Like, when I go to the temple, they'll say, uh, or I, I'll ask them, you know, can we meet somewhere this week? Can we go, you know, I'll buy you dinner. Like, you know, come to my house or anything. Like, I'll try to invite them outside. And they'll look at me like I'm stupid and they'll say, why? And I'm like, <laughs> to hang out. But they're like, well, you know I'm going to be here next week. So just come here and eat, and it's free. So uh, you cannot underestimate the power of simply going to their temple. You don't have to participate in the, the religious things. The religious things aren't even that pressing. Like, it's, it's not nearly like going to a mosque or... Hindu temple, it's polar opposite, and it, and the fact that you would go there and hang out with them, it just, it means a lot. Now, the priests live there, don't they? Most of them do. Sometimes they don't. Yeah, the one I went to uh, in Louisville, the the guy lived there. Yeah. And, um, well, his family, his whole family did. Um, but yeah, I remember that, that you, we ate before this is the service, mm-hmm. and then we ate right after the service, and they invited me back on another day to eat again. Yep. And they didn't say anything about worship or anything like that. They just said, come eat our food. Yep. They'll order pizza a lot of times because they wow. can't tell you how many times I've eaten pizza in Sikh temples. It's awesome. Um, but anyways, but apart from that, the it's really important if you can memorize um, their greeting. Because usually when Americans approach them, like if you saw a Sikh in public and you start to approach them, and they see you coming, they, you, can, you can see it all day. They get tense because they think that you're going to come up and ridicule them, or uh, they just have no idea, like, and they just have to be safe. Sometimes they'll walk away from you unless you say Sat Sariya Kal, which is their greeting. It's strictly Punjabi and for the Sikhs. And it's a super simple phrase, and it seems petty and kind of insignificant. But saying that to a Sikh, it communicates to them, I know who you are, I know what you are and what you're not. Like, I know something that is strictly yours. You know, uh, it's not assalamu alaikum or namaste or anything for the Muslims or the Hindus. Like, I know your Sikh greeting. And you, you say that to them, and you just immediately see tension, like, diffuse. How do you say that again? Sasriya call, you can... Sasriya call? Uh, it sounds like you're saying salsaritas. It does say, it sound like salsaritas. No, it's, uh, it's S-A-T-S-R-I-A-K-A-L, Sasriya call. Um, but it's just, it's a very simple phrase, but it... Like you can you can say assalamu alaikum to a Muslim, and it you know they'll sometimes laugh at you because like if you say that to them and you think like you've done something cool, they'll laugh and be like everybody knows that, <laughs> like like that's not a new like you're not cool because you know that phrase. It's like saying hola in Spanish. It's yeah, it's just, yeah like everybody knows it. it's on TV, but to a Sikh. Like, no one knows Punjabi. No one's ever heard of the language Punjabi or that the state of Punjabi even exists. And so to say a strictly Punjabi thing to them, like, I just, I don't know. I, there was one time I got to speak in a temple, 
and there was like, I don't know, like 300 people there. And I got up and, and like greeted the, the crowd saying Satsuri call. And almost everybody went, oh, <laughs> like it was like this loud, like, like everybody stopped and was like, whoa, like it's, it's like a party trick. So anyways, that's important. But the gospel part, the thing that is difficult about Sikhs is uh, they hate confrontation. They hate uh, any, any slight sense of proselytizing or, or exclusivity. They'll, they'll run away from it because they care about their friendship with you and their rela- they care about humanity getting along and they see, you know, they're okay with like various religions, but the minute that you try to break them up and break them apart, that's when you have a problem. So therefore, introducing exclusivity of Christianity is a difficult thing to go about doing. Um... Because, like, with a Muslim, if it's the, the right kind of Muslim, you know, even some of them obviously hate confrontation, but, like, a lot of them, they don't mind it. Like, they know you're a Christian. They think that what you believe is, for the most part, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And and there's, you can have conversations or even downright debates with a Muslim and still hug it out and be, like, best friends at the end of it. Yeah. Sikhs are not the same. So... The approach that I take, that I, it, I don't know, I'm sure there's a million better ways to go about it, but the, the thing that I've been doing... Cooper's 10-step program. It's actually a three-step program. It really is. Um, but the first step is uh, before you try to say anything exclusive or, or um, what's the word I'm looking for, or critiquing of their religion, anything, or any religion in general, you pray with them as many times as you can. Because there's a a man who used to be a Sikh, but now he's a Christian and he's a pastor and uh, he's brilliant. He's a friend of mine. He told me once, he said, an Asian will never deny prayer. Hmm. And they, they won't. That's very true. So... When you're talking to Sikhs about anything, like, could literally be anything, you just, like, you're concluding hanging out with them, hey, can I pray for you just this week? Can I pray for your business? Can I pray for your family, your kids, your safety? Like, any, you take any opportunity to do it. And eventually, they will say to you, um, I feel something from God when you pray that I don't feel when I pray to my scriptures. Wow. Always happens. It always does. Because they spend an enormous amount of time praying to their scriptures and they receive nothing back for it. Um, But there's something about Jesus that when this white guy prays to him, something happens. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me say that again. I'll take out white guy and you can edit it. It is what it is. Well, I mean, I don't know. Sounds like prioritizing the fact that I'm white. Anyways, I'll stop talking. (laughs) Um, But uh, when this guy comes in and prays, uh, something happens that, like when he prays to Jesus, it doesn't happen when I'm with my, or before my scriptures. Then when that happens, 
you can start sharing things. You can start getting deeper, explaining the Bible, explaining Jesus. You can start even dabbling in um, exclusivity, Jesus talking about him being the way to God, the only way to God, him him alone being creator, because you'll find Sikhs that have all sorts of like creation stories, and you can explain, like, well, the Bible says that um, in the beginning Jesus was God and with God and all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made. But then that God took on flesh, came to earth, which they believe, one of the firmest things, firmest things they believe, it's in the first verse of their scriptures, is that God wouldn't become a man. Hmm. So they're really similar to Muslims like that. But yeah. So you have to dabble in that. And, but once you've prayed with them, and they see there's something special and different that I feel, and I'm not even a charismatic person, but when they feel it, you can say things and then they'll listen to you. Um, because at that point they can't, like... Yeah, because they've experienced it. Yeah, like they're, they're more open to be like, there's, there's legitimacy behind what this guy's saying. Because hmm. things happen when he prays to his God and not when... Yeah. I pray to mine. So so prayer before apologetics. Basically. Yeah. I but I mean solid. But even then you you still have to be careful. Like oh, you're course. you're still not in the clear. And they'll never argue with you. Mm. Um they'll just listen. I mean they'll yeah, they'll listen and they'll, you know, come back and sometimes they'll it always comes back to the Bible. They always want to say that the the Bible is correct, um, which, I mean, you know, you have to be ready to answer that question regardless. Yeah. But the third step, speaking of the Bible, is then giving them a Bible in their language because I've seen tons of guys. There's one time I gave a Sikh guy um, a Gospel of John in Punjabi, and he sat in my car and he read the first, the first five verses, and... Uh, he started crying, and he said, that was the coolest thing I've, I've ever read. Like, he wow. broke down into tears, and he's a grown man. And uh, and I don't know, I said, I said, why? What's cool about it? He just said, is this talking about, about Jesus? And I said, yes. And he said, so the one that, like, um, is the light that came into the world that the darkness didn't overcome, that's him? And I said, I said, yes. And he was like, um, he was like, it just makes sense. He's like, it's just clear. And what I think he was referring to was there's no clarity in their scriptures. Mm-hmm. It's all mysti- mystified and there's no, like, there's no solid truth to take from it. But in the first five verses he ever read from the Bible, he learned Jesus was God, created everything, um, and was some form of light, some force, like some force of good that darkness and evil could not overtake. That he was powerful and worthy of like trust and faith and was the one that created everything. And it broke him down right there. Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Thank you for listening to the Mountain and Valley Podcast. If you've enjoyed this show, please subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media. Just search underscore MV podcast on any platform.
Again, that's underscore M as in mountain, V as in valley podcast. This podcast was created and produced by Michael Horvath and Kip Wilkinson. All of our original music has been produced by the talented Robert Luther. Any other music used in this episode will be listed in our show notes. This episode was mastered by J.A. Parkey. Thank you so much for listening. Now go tell your story.